Uh, before we get into our scripture for today, I invite us to pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our single concern. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, today we pick up on our sermon series called Charisma, Spiritual Gifts of Grace. If you're new this morning or if you have been sleeping or distracted for the last month, I'm going to give us a quick recap to get us caught up to where we are today in week four. So if you remember, week one, Pastor Brandon showed us that charisma is a Greek word for grace. It's this divine gift that is given to us by the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of this gift isn't to promote ourselves, but rather to upbuild the church in order that together we might woo the world back to the God who is love. And Brandon reminded us that the God who gives these gifts is wildly generous and creative and pours out onto Christians an infinite variety of gifts in all shapes and sizes. So remember, we all have charisma. Have you stood in the mirror and said it yet? There's still time. We have two weeks left. By the end of this series, I want you all to stand in the mirror and say you have charisma. So then week two, I explained that using our gifts is not just an optional part of the Christian life. Rather, it is how we worship God with our full minds and our full bodies, with all of who we are. We looked at how God gives different gifts to different members of the body of Christ. And God designs it like this so that we learn to work together, to rely on one another. Friends, no person was ever designed to go it alone. And this is no surprise, is it? Because we were created in the image of a communal God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always united, always working together. And it is this communal God who we represent to the world. That is the area we're going to focus on this morning. How we as the body of Christ represent this communal God to the world, the God who is love. But before we get there, we have to recall what Pastor Brandon said last week about why. Why are we doing this series on spiritual gifts? Why is it important for me to fill those gifts things out in my bulletin and stick it in there. Why should I care about all of this? Well, friends, it's not to earn brownie points with God or to check something off our to-do list. It's not even to make your pastors happy, though it will make us happy if you do it. But that's not why. It's much bigger than any of those reasons. It's not about us. It's about God's mission to redeem all the world because God has given us these gifts for the common good for redeeming the world, making the world a better place, a place that reflects God's love and justice and peace and hope. Have you ever found yourself watching the news and complaining that things are just getting really bad in the world? I've heard a lot of people say that. Well, there's good news. God is at work. And God is at work through us, the church, inviting us to be in mission to make things better. This is one of the ways that God answers our prayers, by equipping and activating God's people to be agents of God's healing and hope. That is good news, is it not? 
So before we read our text today, I have a question for you. I want you to think about it seriously. What are your biggest prayers? What are your deepest, deepest longings for yourself and for all the world? I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. I encourage you to jot it down in your bulletin because I'm going to return to it right after we read our scripture text. So I'll ask you again, what are your deepest prayers? What are your greatest longings for yourself and for all the world? Think about that for a minute. Okay, friends, with those prayers in mind, I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord to us from 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So I ask you, what are your deepest prayers? What came to mind as you thought about your greatest longings for yourself and for all the world? I won't ask you all to name them out loud, but I can imagine that most of them would fall under one big umbrella. That the world would be wooed back to the God who is love. Now what do I mean by that? That the world would be wooed back to the God who is love. Well, first, that all people would come to know and love God. How many of you pray and long for your child or your sibling or your friend who has walked away from the Lord, has walked away from church, maybe has never shown interest at all? How many of you pray for them that they might come to know God? I know I do. Or second, how many of you pray that all people would follow God's ways? That violence would stop? That all people would be treated kindly and fairly? That all the hatred and envy that tears families and communities and nations apart, that that would end forever and always? Any of you pray for that? I know I do. And I thought that In thinking of this, maybe the Miss America contestants have it right. After all, what we do want is world peace. And 
And I joke at that, I poke fun, but I'm actually really serious because we do long for that. If all people were to follow God's ways, we would experience the peace that God intends for this world, the shalom that leads to flourishing for all people, all creation. Don't we want that? So in my years of talking to people about the Christian life, these are the three prayers that I hear bubble out of people's hearts, that all people would know and love God, that all people would follow God's ways, and that as a result, our world would experience God's shalom. Do any of those sound familiar to your prayers? Well, all of these, of course, are related. And all three, I believe, happen when the world is wooed back to the God who is love. And that, my friends, this wooing the world back to the God is love, that is the purpose of our spiritual gifts. But how do we do that, you might wonder? What is this wooing business all about? Just how do I do that practically? Well, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to represent to the world who God is. In our world that is fraught by some nasty bipartisan politics, school bullying, social media slandering, random shootings, all other kinds of hatred and disunity, we, the church, are called to be different. We are called to represent God who is unified, God who is the very definition of love. We have a calling to represent God who is love. But again, you might ask, how do we do this? What does it look like practically for us to represent God? Well, Peter gives us a few pointers. So we'll turn now to our first verse, verse 7. Peter says, Be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. If you pray that all people would know, love, and obey God, Peter says, be serious and discipline yourselves. Now, I, as I've come to know our Reformed tradition and some of our uh, Dutch ancestors who have been faithful, prayerful people for which we give thanks to God for our church, I've come to think that maybe they took this verse really seriously of the no smiling or laughing or never moving your arms and worship. <laughs> no, no. But that's not what this means. So if you've ever felt constrained by that, that to be a faithful Christian means to, like, straight face it, never laugh, be freed. I don't think that's what this verse means. I think that what it does mean is to be serious and discipline ourselves in our love. Because the next verse it says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. Peter is telling us to be serious, get disciplined about this thing we call love. Now I see two clear ways that Peter lays out how we are to do this. So the first one comes before this, especially in verses 2 and 3. You can look at it in your Bible if you'd like. So Peter says, don't waste your God-given life and your gifts on selfish desires. Selfish desires, a few of which he names are gluttony or lust or drunkenness or worship of false idols. Because when we live for ourselves, we hurt ourselves 
because we're meant for a greater purpose, but we also hurt the body of Christ around us and the surrounding world because God has given us gifts so that we might bless those around us. So remember our prayers that all the world might know, love, and obey God. Well, friends, the world is watching us, Christians, to understand who God is. To see if this is the sort of God they'd want to trust and follow. And our world is full of a lot of messages that tell us to live for ourselves, does it not? But our God is different. Our God is a God of self-giving, sacrificial love. Friends, our world needs to see that kind of love. Now, I speak of this word love, and I just want to say that we have a culture very confused about love, do we not? If we're to represent the God who is love, what do we mean? So we use this word in a lot of contexts. I say I love my husband and my daughter, but I also say I love chocolate, right? But the God that the love that God shows is agape love. I know many of you are familiar this, with this word. It's, it's distinct. Agape love genuinely desires and then acts for the good of the other. So I don't really agape chocolate because if I did, I wouldn't eat it because eating chocolate isn't really in the chocolate's best interest. You know, that's really in my best interest to eat the chocolate because I like it, right? But agape is different. It's desiring the good of the other, even when sometimes it costs us. So we are called to agape love our neighbors. This is the word that's used in verse 8. Above all, maintain constant agape for one another. That is, be constantly desiring and acting for the good of one another. So there's another interesting word in this verse. You, I've put some different definitions in your bulletin. You can check them out. The Greek is just really fascinating for this passage. So the adjective constant that is used here in Greek, I found really fascinating. It can mean earnest, fervent, intense. I, I really like the word intense because it highlights that this isn't some half-hearted, willy-nilly venture. No, agape love is intense. God was so intense about desiring our good that he acted to give us everything. Did he not? It is intense. And this is how we are to treat one another, to intensely desire and act for one another's good. Not half-heartedly, but intensely. And that's why Peter tells us, get serious. Get disciplined, because your natural inclination is not to do that. Our natural inclination is to desire selfish pursuits, not the good of those around us. I will admit, that is my selfish desire. I want to continue sleeping when Lily cries. I don't want to get up and feed her or do whatever. My selfish desire is to stay in bed. But the good of her is to get up, right? So I wonder, how are we doing in this agape love? And I can rejoice that I have witnessed so many examples of this among you all. You do all love one another really well. It's Some of our new members have shared that the reason they've joined is the love that they see in this community. 
we can feel confident inviting anyone into this community knowing that you are going to greet them kindly and warmly. But don't we also know that there are some times we've experienced Christians biting at each other? Sometimes it happens when Christians from one tradition will slam those from another tradition or in our own denominations there's friction. Sometimes it happens within our own congregations and some of you have experienced that and my heart breaks for you. So Paul says, get serious. Discipline yourselves so that you can maintain constant love for one another. Continue desiring and acting for the good of your neighbor. This is not going to be natural. You have to really discipline yourself to think about this. So this is how we represent to the world our God who is love, by self-sacrificially honoring and loving one another, even in our differences. So then we move on in our scripture. Peter says, for love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now I find this verse to be so rich. It can be interpreted in a number of ways, and theologians do interpret it in a number of ways. But in the context of loving one another, I want to suggest that when our hearts are in the right place of truly seeking the good of one another, that our love for them will cover over a multitude of mistakes we make in those relationships. So, for example, I've thought of this verse a lot in this crazy new venture we are on called parenting. Can I admit to you that most of the time we have no idea what we're doing? We don't. It's crazy. I don't know why God entrusts people to raise children. It's wild. So the, the truth is, though, we, we love our daughter. We love our little Lily, and therefore we try our best. We offer to her whatever it is we have to give. Friends, we don't do it perfectly. We mess up, but what we believe is most important is that we try our hardest to represent to her the God who is love. And we pray that as we show God's love in our attempts, that that love would cover over the multitude of sins we commit. Love covers over a multitude of sins. And in thinking about this verse, I've also pondered a lot about this word sin. What, is, what can that mean? And then I've thought about two ways that over time, different theologians have categorized sin Sins of commission and omission. I know right now I might be losing a couple of you because you're like, those are big words. This sounds like a bunny trail. But I promise, stay tuned because it is really related. So, sins of commission. These are the ones we usually think of. It's something we know to be wrong and we do it anyway. So, an example would be if I were to yell at Lily. That would be a sin of commission because I know that as an adult I should not be yelling at a seven-month-old baby, right? It's a sin of commission. But then there are also sins of omission. These are when we fail to do something that I can and ought to do. In the parenting world, we call this neglect. We take this really seriously, don't we? An example would be, like I mentioned earlier, if Lily wakes up and she's hungry or has a wet diaper, and I can and ought to meet her needs, and I choose not to, just to leave her like that, that would be 
to sin against her. To sin. Now, these are really obvious to us, aren't they, when we consider a parent's relationship to a baby? I have a responsibility to love and care for this other human being. To intentionally harm her or neglect her would be sinning against her. So then, friends, can we transfer this understanding to our relationships to one another? Especially in terms of spiritual gifts, the sins of omission part can be really key. Have you ever thought that if you choose not to use your God-given gifts to serve others, you might be sinning against them? You might be withholding from them something that God has specifically given to you to help them. Now, I don't say this to try to induce guilt, but I also invite you to consider the joy that we miss when we don't share our gifts with others. I tell you that it gives me immense joy to be able to wake up in the middle of the night, even though I don't always feel like it, to be able to help my baby stop crying, to meet a need that she has, to sing to her, even though I sing terribly, I pray love would cover a multitude of sins. There is immense joy when we offer what God has given us to help another who needs it. Just as in parenting, when we offer our gifts to the service of the church and the world, we're not going to do it perfectly. But we offer our gifts in love and trust that God's love would cover over the multitude of mistakes we make. And the greater sin, I believe, would be to simply sit back and do nothing. To neglect our fellow brothers and sisters who desperately need what God has given us. This is how the world will be wooed back to the God who is love. Through our self-sacrificial offering of what God has given us. So now, now you might be thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I'm convinced that this is important. Maybe I should learn about my gifts. Maybe I should offer them. But can you give me some practical examples of what to do? Again, I'm glad you asked. I'm just pretending you're asking that. Um, Pretend that you're interested. So, Peter gives us a couple clear examples. One in particular, in verse 9, he writes, Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Be hospitable. This is one major way that we love one another. Now, the Greek of this word is really interesting. Again, it's the combination of two words, phylos and xenos, which means friend and stranger. So literally, to be hospitable means to be a friend to a stranger. Now, there are multiple levels on which we're called to befriend strangers. One is the way we often think of it, of opening our homes, having people over for meals or coffee or giving them a place to stay. I really think that God is deeply saddened by our current culture that's really isolated and really busy, and keeps us from much interacting with each other outside of organized functions like church in the morning on Sundays. Jesus was regularly dining and enjoying social times with people. These are how relationships were built and trust was formed and where he did some of his deepest teachings over the dinner table. I think if we did more of this, we probably wouldn't need these online spiritual gifts assessments. 
we'd be able to look at each other and easily say, you have the gift of mercy. You have the gift of teaching. I see it. I know you well. I know you have this gift. And we would be better able to step in when each other had needs because we would know what one another's needs are. So we had the pleasure our first year of having dinner in many of your homes. It was the highlight of our first year. We were so encouraged in our faith to see the Holy Spirit at work in your lives through your daily lives, through your stories, your pictures of your families, through the life that you shared with us. And we pray for that for all of you. So one of my challenges to you is to consider over the next two weeks, try to have someone over to your house from church that you don't know, that's kind of like a stranger to you, maybe a person or a family unit that you want to get to know. And I'm going to put a caveat in here. You don't have to do it perfectly. I'm pretty sure that when you all had us over, you like deep cleaned your house and prepared the meal for like days. It was fabulous. It was wonderful. And I went home feeling really bad about our dirty house and plain meals. (laughs) But that was a gift of love that you showed us, right? But don't feel like you have to do that every time. Because if we wait to do it perfectly, we're never going to do it at all. When you have a friend, a true friend, you let them into your house in the mess, in the chaos, right? So if you're going to be a friend to a stranger, let them in. Show them what your life is usually like. It doesn't have to be perfect, and it might actually make them feel better that their lives aren't perfect either. So be freed to be hospitable in the chaos of life. And I want to say something about this in considering younger generations. Just a quick word. Some of you I have heard saying that you're afraid you don't have the abilities to offer gifts like you used to. Maybe you're older and you don't have the strength or energy you used to, can I tell you that one of the greatest gifts you can offer younger generations is hospitality? Maybe that means inviting them into your home. Maybe it just means asking them for coffee for 30 minutes to an hour. We recently went to a seminar with um, some 22-year-olds Christians telling us about their experiences, and they, through tears in their eyes, said, I just want someone to ask me to coffee. I really, really want a relationship with the older people in my church, but I don't know how to ask. And they understand that it's going to be awkward, but they are really nervous and they want to know you. So they said, just ask me to coffee. That's all I want. I don't care if my pastor is hip or cool, which is good because your pastors aren't. But... They want to know you. They want to know how you got married. They want to know how you overcame that illness, how you stayed sane raising your children. They want to know that you have survived. <laughs> Look, here you are. You are made it to the other side. They just want to know you. So this is a huge gift that you can offer. It's one of the number one things that younger generations are looking for in a church. So you might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I say. I'm really nervous about talking. Good thing, because one of the most hospitable things you can do is listen. 
A lot of pastors say that one of the greatest ministries we can offer in today's hurried, self-focused world is to truly listen. Just sit down, listen to a person's experiences, their ideas, their hopes and dreams. It means so much to someone else. Their ideas might seem strange, but that's okay because hospitality is to be a friend to a stranger. Not to necessarily argue them down or try to tell them they're crazy if something seems strange, but to just to listen. Just to listen. And you don't have to adopt what they're saying. Just like when you have someone over for dinner, doesn't mean you're inviting them to live with you, right? <laughs> you, you can't have all these other people with you all the time. Just in the same way, you don't have to have all these ideas that they share with you with you all the time. You can invite them in and let them go. I become more and more convinced that this is the top way the church can be a witness in the world. By listening to each other. By loving one another. By being hospitable to one another, even in our differences. This is true within our own congregation, but also with Christians in different churches in our community. So I encourage you to consider, is there a, a Christian not from our church in your workplace or your neighborhood? Is there a way that you can befriend them, get to know your Catholic neighbor next door, or the Presbyterian co-worker that you have? Can you get together with them to pray with them before work? You might be surprised when you start doing this about the eager responses that you'll see from the people around you. Because this is not what we're used to. We're used to people with differences, ignoring each other or, or tearing each other down. But Christ, Christ shows us a different way, does he not? The way of agape love. So friends, when we get serious, when we discipline ourselves to truly agape love one another, even when it's hard, even when we have differences, well friends, I think we're going to start to see some of our prayers being answered. I think we'll find that more and more people are eager to know and follow this God whose love we represent. We represent this love that is so different from what we see in a lot of our world. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's get to it. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, may we maintain constant agape love for one another. Also that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. Amen.